Well, it's good to see you here at our five o'clock service this evening at our Holy Spirit fire service. Um, we're going to be ministering as the Holy Spirit leads us and hearing of some testimonies from people that responded to words of knowledge and prophetic leadings over the last um, few weeks. And, um, oh, sorry, I just need to, sorry. Just had to, I just had to mention something. So, uh, tonight we're going to be uh, spending some time, and the sort of theme that I have for this evening that I'll be ministering on is spiritual birthing. Spiritual birthing. There's things that God wants to be birthed in our lives. Uh, and the thing is, unless we know the process of spiritual birthing, we don't know what's going on. I don't want to get into the message, but um, if someone was pregnant and giving birth, but they didn't know the process of birthing, they, they would be very confused, pain, in pain, not knowing what's going on, not knowing what's happening. And they need a, someone with a bit of help, a midwife or a doctor to say, no, this is the process, it's, it's all fine. Well, we're going to look at the process of how God will often use intercession and prayer to birth things in our, new, in our lives. And what this process is, because it's more than just praying, it's a whole process of life when God brings something new to birth in our hearts and also in our circumstances. We'll be looking at um, Elijah and him praying for rain and that process too. But that's the theme, but we're just going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do as we're seeking God uh, for his fire to come into our, our hearts. Well, we're in Galatians chapter 5 and uh, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. In this series over the last two months, we've been spending some time uh, talking about principles of walking in the Spirit and how the Spirit works in our lives. And we've looked at an introduction to the Holy Spirit. Remember, you can go online to our website, kt.org, and go to the media section, and all the services that we do on Sunday are featured there. So you can always go back and look at former teaching series and go through them. And if you've missed any of these, you can go back and watch them at leisure, and people are joining us now on the internet. Welcome to you uh, as well. And uh, we looked at an introduction to the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in three main ways, uh, purity, power, and his presence. We unpackaged those in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing assurance into our lives. Then out of that, we've uh, moved into looking at how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and causes us to grow more like Jesus. Uh, we've been saying that the work of the Spirit is, is, is not, has nothing to do with the work of the law. I've been mentioning that the first Pentecost that ever took place took place 50 days after the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And on that 50th day, the first Pentecost that ever took place brought what? It brought the law through Moses to the people. So the first Pentecost brought the law. And the law didn't deal with anybody's heart. Never came to deal with anybody's heart. It came to reveal sin and to restrain sin externally. In other words, you want to sin? Okay, go ahead, you'll get punished. And so the law came to deal with the outward thing rather than inward. And when Jesus came, he, he taught the Sermon on the Mount. And, he, and in his whole teaching, he was basically teaching how it's not enough just to do things on the outside. That's pharisaical, to look all good on the outside and to point your finger at other people, always concerned about what other people are doing and how you're different and set apart for them. I'm the Pharisee and I've come to give my offering and you'll all see it because what a great person I am compared to the woman who had nothing and gave all that she had in secret. And I'm a great Pharisee and you'll see my prayers and my preachings and, and you will all applaud me compared to the person who goes into their room where nobody sees them and pours their heart out to God. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is about God working from the inside out. And so out of that, we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit, and that's where we are right now. We're going to do a bit more on the fruit of the Spirit, and then ending next weekend, uh, next Sunday, and we may even get 
partly there today. We're then going to look at how to be led by the Holy Spirit in your daily life. How does the Holy Spirit speak to us? How does he lead us? What sort of ways does he talk to us? Not just through reading of scripture, but in daily life. So we're going to be speaking about how to be led by the Holy Spirit and to be open and aware to his promptings. And then we'll, we'll have finished. And then uh, as we go into December, December uh, we've got so many things that are happening. Uh, the first week we're going to have a look at the, how the Gospels Look at the Christmas story and how they have different emphasis, the emphasis of Matthew and, and Luke and John and, and what we can learn from coming at these different emphases. And then we've got our Christmas program. We've got uh, all sorts of things that are happening, Christmas concerts and our Christmas carol service that will take us right up to Christmas. So we're looking forward to a good December. Well, let's, let's remind ourselves of the fruit of the Spirit, um, chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Can you see right there, you see? Don't need the law. Don't need the first Pentecost if these virtues and characteristics are being developed in our life. If you are developing by the Holy Spirit these characteristics in your life, you don't need the law. But let me tell you something. If we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to, de to develop these characteristics in our heart, then we will become legalists. Because it says, against such things there is no law. However, if we are trying to meet some sort of grade of holiness or some sort of church rules and regulations, then it will be almost as if we're under the law again because the law can see such things and the law will dominate. But that type of Christian is living in Romans chapter 7. We've mentioned Romans chapter 7. Uh, and is acting as if they were under law, which they're not. But that's how they're acting. Whereas Romans 8 is a picture of somebody that is allowing the Holy Spirit to develop the fruit of their spirit, spirit in their lives. Now, let me remind you that the fruit of the Spirit is exactly that. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. No human being can produce these types of characteristics in their heart. It is a supernatural, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I am more and more convinced that the fruit of the Spirit are even more powerful than the gifts of the Spirit. And that if you meet somebody who is highly developed in the fruit of the Spirit, that it will be, have a more of an impact on your life than should you see a miracle or a prophecy or a, a word of knowledge. We get such things uh, this evening at the 7 o'clock service. We're open for the gifts of the Spirit. But to meet somebody who, who has this type of love, joy, peace, has this type of goodness... Kindness, faithfulness, patience, gentleness, self-control. These things are the work of God and have a tremendous impact on people's lives. Uh, you, you'd be surprised how, how much. These are supernatural. These things are, 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 are the fruit of God's work in our heart if we let him work on the inside. If you don't let God onto the, on, in, if you don't allow God to work on the inside of, of your life, deep down where your motivations and strong desires are, you won't produce any fruit of the Spirit. You'll say stagnant on the inside, and uh, if you look good on the outside, well, it won't be the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, I always think that somebody that is focusing and allowing the Holy Spirit to develop the fruit of the Spirit, it's like an organic growth. It's something that comes on the inside. I have an apple tree in my garden and it doesn't strain itself to produce, his, produce apples. It's a healthy apple tree so it produces healthy apples. That's what it does. It's natural and organic. But I think that often the danger is that Christians can become more like Christmas trees than fruit trees. I mean, in a few days' time, those of us that have Christmas trees in our, uh, to celebrate Christmas, what we will be doing? We'll be getting out the Christmas trees. Maybe some of you would go out and you say, I like a natural Christmas tree. But of course, the moment you get that Christmas tree, it's already dying, isn't it? It's being cut out of the ground. And what do you do with it? You make it beautiful on the outside. And it's beautiful and pretty on the outside. But on the inside, it's dying. 
important in January, you'll throw it away in the dump. Others of us, like myself, won't be getting a real Christmas tree. We'll be getting the plastic Christmas tree out that we get out every year. And so that's not even a real tree. It's a plastic tree, and we'll be dressing it up, and it'll be looking good, and then we'll put it back in the attic in January. This is an illustration because we don't want to be plastic Christians, do we? We don't want to have all the glitter and the tinsel on the outside so people say, wow, what a beautiful Christian. But actually, it's like we're dying on the inside, that nothing's happening, there's no growth in the place where only God, perhaps, can see. And so the fruit of the Spirit is a work of God on the inside that begins to come on the outside. Now, God works these things on the inside during circumstances that we are facing. So whatever you are facing today, and uh, our senior minister spoke this morning on the wisdom of the spirits and its relationship to faith, and he was talking about how uh, circumstances come our ways, and it's not so much if it's a good or bad circumstance, but it's what God wants to do and teach you in that circumstance for the goal of maturity to take place. Well, what God wants to do, God works in our heart by the Spirit through our circumstances. You see, it's only when you face circumstances that uh, you need to deal with heart issues, isn't it? So if you don't face any circumstances, then how do you know what's in your heart to be dealt with? James says, consider it all joy, when you go through various trials or circumstances or challenges in life. Why? Because if you endure or your patience or you persist and you don't give up, what will be the end result? You'll come out mature, perfect. Not actually perfect, but that means you'll, become, you'll be becoming who God has destined you to be. The Greek word is teleos, which means end product. So when you go through a trial, God is working on you to bring the end product of who he designed you uh, to really, really be. And so that means that the external things that we are going to, going through, are used by the Holy Spirit in our hearts to produce patience. After all, uh, how, can you, how can you grow in patience unless something is trying your patience? How can you grow in self-control when, uh, if, unless there's a situation that you feel like getting out of control? How can you practice faithfulness when there's a temptation to be unfaithful or to give up or to betray somebody or something like that or to betray a situation? How can you grow unless there's that pressure? So, so these pressures on the outside, they're not all negative. Now, I'm not talking about when we produce a negative trial in our life. Sometimes we go through things and it's our own fault. I'm not talking about those things. Uh, James says, consider it all joy when you fall into trials. In other words, you're just going around, doing your best, you're not perfect, but you're going on, then suddenly you find yourself in a circumstance. You haven't, you may have been involved in that circumstance, but it's not a circumstance of your, of your sin. You didn't go down the pub, get blind drunk, and wake up in the morning with a terrible uh, hangover and saying, oh Lord, this trial, this trial that you've given me, you're maturing me in this trial. God's not doing anything. You've got a headache, you deserve it. And there's nothing positive about anything that you've gone through. So, so do you know what I mean? So, so to put yourself in a situation where you abuse yourself or where you engage in sin or, and, and practices like that, and then go, oh, God, you know, what are you teaching me? Uh, God is teaching you to stop going out and getting drunk and having a head. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about those things. If you're a nasty person, nobody's nasty here today. You're all smiling and nice. But if you're a nasty person, then you are going to go through some bad moments in your life. And you know what? It's because you're nasty. If you're a nasty, angry person, and, you're getting, and people are being rough with you, don't go to God and say, what are you teaching me, Lord? Stop being nasty. I'm not talking, I think I've made the point. I'm not talking about those things. These are, not, these are now nobody's perfect, and we make mistakes. I'm not talking about making mistakes like that either. I'm, talk, I'm speaking against willful sin and, and, and what you reap when you sow like that. 
But these things that come across, and, and, and different things happen to different people, these things that we fall into, there's no, it's no, it's no light, it's not a direct result of, our, of, our, of us being, you know, total spiritual idiots or sinners. Um, we just find ourselves, as everybody does in these situations, these situations, God wants to develop the fruit in our, in our hearts. So whatever you're going through right now, if it's something like that, whether the difficulties or the challenges in your life, you know the Holy Spirit is directly involved. Uh, where you find yourself is not somebody else's fault. God's involved, okay? And so God can bring you out of it, but God is doing a work in our lives. Now, we've said that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. And last week, I said that the difficulty is, is that so many people have so many different um, opinions about what love is. You know, and, and, and what is love? And, and, and you could speak to 20 different people and get 20 different answers. And so when we know that God, Jesus, he gave us the Great Commission which was to go into all the world and make disciples. Great commission. But he also gave us the great commandment. And what was the great commandment? To love one another as he has loved us. But unfortunately, Christians don't really know, or often Christians don't have a realization of what does love really mean. I mean, what is love like with legs on? I mean, how does it act? What does it do? Is it wishy-washy, gooey-wooey? What is love? What is love? Well, here's love. Because this is the fruit, singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. But then it's like, well, what is love? Well, love acts in all these other eight ways. So, love has joy. Love has peace. Love has patience. Love has kindness. Love has goodness. Love is faithful. Love has gentleness. Love has self-control against such things as there's, there's no law. Uh, so the, these are what love likes. So if you want to know in your marriage, you say, oh, how can I grow in my marriage to my husband or, or my wife? What does it mean to love my husband or love my wife? Well, it, it's these things. We also could go to 1 Corinthians 13. You might like to turn to it if you don't know it well. I'm not going to turn to it where there is a whole description of love. And when you compare 1 Corinthians 13 with Galatians 5, it's very similar. So 1 Corinthians 13 is also all about what the fruit of the Spirit is, and uh, in a different way. Also, you can go to James chapter 3, where it speaks about the wisdom from above is first of all pure, peaceable, open-minded. So that also is speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is God's major plan for your life. His major plan for your life is not that you get the job that you always dreamed of, not that you get the money that you've always wanted, not that you get the holiday you've always wanted or the husband or the wife or whatever it might be. Those things are not wrong in themselves, but seek first the kingdom of God. And other things that people chase after, as God determines, he'll bring them into your life. And to seek first the kingdom of God is to seek God's primary work in our lives. God's primary work, and what he's trying to do in your life, is to work in your heart. That's, what he's That's his number one thing. And you see, if we allow him increasingly to work in our heart, if we... If we uh, Look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, you know, I want, to be no, I want to become more like this. I want, to, I want these characteristics to show in my life more. Not that these are nine new laws. Smile, be joyful, for goodness sake, you're a Christian. That's not the fruit of the Spirit, is it? Or patience, just count to ten before you hit somebody. That's not the fruit of the Spirit, is it? That's somebody externally. To, no, this is something that's genuine, that comes out of a genuine seeking of God, a genuine discussion and prayer with the Holy Spirit, where in genuine situations and circumstances, out of your heart, you, you, you show these things in partnership with the Holy Spirit. You can't manifest the fruits of the Spirit unless you have a prayer life. 
You can't manifest the fruits of the Spirit unless you have a prayer life, unless you are increasingly going deeper with God and that you are opening your heart and discussing things with God. You can't do it. Because if you're not deepening with God, praying about situations you're in with God, seeing the reactions in your heart that are fleshly and taking them to the altar of God and saying, look, God, this is how I'm feeling. This is, maybe you made a mistake and this is how I acted. And Lord, I, I need your help. I, I'm coming to you and, and, and I pray that, Lord, that you will help me change. I will trust you and not try and manipulate my circumstances. Because the works of the flesh that are earlier on the works of the flesh are all about you and I by ourselves manipulating events and circumstances. We're going to sort it out. We're going to do this. We're going to act that. We're going to make sure. We, we're going to dominate. We're going to be angry. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to pursue the things of the world. We're, gonna, we're going to be hedonistic. We're going, we're going to... We're going to we, you don't need to pray. That's why so many Christians... Don't pray in the Western world. Why don't they pray? They, don't, they have no need to pray. That's why they don't pray. I'm talking about real prayer. I'm not talking about a little prayer list. Tick, 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 tick. Get on with your life. I'm talking about a conversation that's continually going between your heart and God's heart. Talking about things. Talking and, and trusting and, and moving in. You see, mo most Christians don't pray like that or, or Christians that don't pray like that they don't pray like that because they don't need to. Why? Because they're in the flesh. They'll work it out with their own intellect. They'll work it out with their own manipulations. That's why often you can't see the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Now, we've all made mistakes. And there'll be times when you have moved in the flesh and I have moved in the flesh. Well, you don't live there forever. You let those things go, don't you? It's a new day. We, it's not about where you are it's about what direction you're facing and what direction you're moving in today. I'm not asking us all to be perfect in all of these things. I'm just asking us to say, are we even moving towards these? Are these things even important to our Christianity? These sorts of things. Are these things something that we want to pursue? Are we discussing with God? Are we in our situations and circumstances, the little things and the big things, day by day? Are we seeing what, what they're doing to our heart? Oh, that was flesh. Oh, I need to take that to the Lord. Where did that come from? Sometimes you don't even know where it comes, but it comes from the flesh. But sometimes you think you've dealt with something, but it pops up again. God is working at a deeper level, a deeper level. This is what God is doing in our lives. And, you know, if we don't recognize this, then God's going to be doing one thing in our lives, and we're going to be doing another thing in our lives. James chapter 1 is very clear. It says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them go to God. And don't doubt. Don't be weird. Ask in faith, and God will give you the wisdom that you need, whatever that, that is. He'll give you the wisdom that you need at the right time in the right way. He'll give you the wisdom. But, you know, people often stop there. And I've nearly finished my book on James. And I realized that James chapter 3, the wisdom from above, there are people, and I've been guilty of this, teaching, hey, if you need wisdom for whatever you're dealing with, you need wisdom from God, just ask, you'll get it. It might not come how or the way that you think it will, but God will give you the wisdom. He'll give you, you can trust him. It says, just believe, you'll get the wisdom, it'll happen, have faith. Well, wait a second. If your view of wisdom, wisdom is different to God's view of wisdom, then you're not going to get it, are you? Because you're going to be thinking in one terms, and he's going to be thinking in another term. So if you're looking for wisdom, and saying, God, I'm, I receive it, I believe it, the wisdom to deal with this situation, this business situation, this relationship situation. I pray for wisdom and I do not doubt. And you think that that wisdom is, is, is what the rest of the people that James was right. They, they were arguing, fighting, jealous. They were getting back at one another, holding scores. That they were doing that and they thought that it was wise. They thought that they were clever to hold grudges. Uh, to, to, to attack one another, to be jealous for one another, to drop one another in it. All these things, they thought, that's what they were doing, the very church. 
So if these people were asking God for wisdom, they didn't even know that they were sinful. They thought that they, they were Pharisees. This is how the Pharisaical spirit works. Just when you, when, you, when you think that everything's right and you're a lot righter than everybody else, you are a Pharisee because you have ceased to realize the deep-setted sin that's in your own heart. You're too busy looking at everybody else and, ex- and exalting yourself over them. So these people in James are going around doing that. They think they're better than one another. They're gossiping about one another. They're speaking ill about what It's all there in James. So the wisdom at the beginning was so that they could go through a trial. But then James says, look, you know, what, what is this wisdom? And how, how, does it, how does it come to? The wisdom is the fruit of the Spirit. It says, um, uh, I'm not used to this Bible. Um, here we go. Wisdom from above. Who is wise and understanding from you? James 3.13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the humility of wisdom. Whereas the people that James are writing to were full of self-pride and puffed up, putting everybody else down. If you put other people down, you're proud. You put other people down, you're proud. If you build other people up, you're humble. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. But earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there'll be disorder and every vile practice. Well, we don't want to live like that, do we? But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So when we're asking from wisdom from from above, God is saying it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So how we did, the more we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, the better we'll be able to deal with the situations that comes our ways. See, the greatest thing that you can have to deal with what life throws at you is the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't want life to chew you up and spit you out, and you don't want to chew up other people and spit them out, then the fruit of the Spirit will be there. Jesus, Jesus faced more than we could possibly ever imagine. But you know, it was the fruit of the Spirit that was perfect in his life that caused him to be able to go through life and do the will of his Father. Now, we looked at some of the words of the fruit of the Spirit uh, just to try and get a flavor of what they mean because the words that we translate from Greek to English, because the New Testament was originally written in Greek, sometimes a Greek word means a lot more than the English translation. We looked at um, joy and we said that This joy was not the joy of the world. There are joys of this world. Some of them are fine as well, things that we enjoy in life. You know, we're not killjoys, are we? There are legitimate, joyful things in life. But we're not talking about that kind of joy. The kingdom of God is, what is it? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. This joy is a joy of knowing God. And I mentioned that people down the ages, some of the most persecuted Christians have had the most joy. In fact, it's amazing to see that Christians who are in poor or difficult situations, if you go into their prayer meetings or you've witnessed their prayer meetings or services or their worship, often their joy levels are extremely high. They haven't even got shoes on their feet. But when they gather in that hut and start to worship Jesus, the joy that's coming out of them shames major auditoriums in the Western world where we as Christians gather together with electric guitars and all kinds of imagery and we sing and and we have a good time, but it's nothing compared to that kind of joy. Why? Well, because they haven't got anything else, so they've pressed into the Lord. This is a joy that comes from heaven, a joy that knows that this earth will not satisfy our needs. 
and therefore presses into Jesus. It's a spiritual joy. Joy is robust. Joy is strong. I need more. I, 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 when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, I think, boy, I, I am really lacking in joy. And I'm going to the Holy Spirit and asking, how does this work, Lord? Because, you know, need, we, you know I need to press in. I need this joy. This joy. Peace. We spoke about the peace that is shalom. It's not just peace. It's wholeness. It's being a whole person. Hurting people hurt people. Isn't that right? Whole people, when they meet hurting people, they don't have to fight back like a wounded animal. Why? Because they're increasingly being whole. They can afford to be generous and gracious and merciful. What we need in our lives more than anything is peace. Peace, not as the world gives, but as God. We need a wholeness. We need a healing. This is what the fruit of the Spirit does. You talk about inner healing. You can read all these books on inner healing. Well, praise the Lord for inner healing. But inner, inner healing is simply more of the fruit of the Spirit in your hearts and less of the flesh. That's what inner healing is. Because an inner healed person will display high levels of these characteristics. Someone that is not healed will demonstrate very low levels of these characteristics because they're moving in hurt, fear, and hurt that's not in the process of being healed will often turn into fleshly manifestations. That's why often when you meet someone that's very fleshly, they're very hurting. So if someone's got a real anger problem, well, that's a uh, work of the flesh, isn't it? Anger is a work of the flesh. Bitterness is a work of the flesh. Judgmentalism is a work of the flesh. And the Bible says they're works of the flesh. But, what, but what's behind that? You know that someone is hurting, is wounded, not whole. And therefore they're angry. Behind anger is always um, unmet desires. Somebody is angry because they have goals that are being blocked by some circumstance or perceived people. So they're angry because goals are being blocked. Why? Because they're hurting on the inside and they need help to put their goals in the right places. Because, tell you what, nobody, will, no human being on earth will ever meet your needs like God on earth. So if you put your, if you put your hope in people to meet your needs, whatever those needs are, then you're going to be disappointed, hurt, and then you're probably going to end up being angry with them because they're not giving you what they need. I'm not just talking about husband and wives, but it could be friends. Your friends aren't giving you what you need, so you get angry at, uh, at them. Or, um, you know, your teachers or your bosses aren't giving what you need, so you get angry at them. And so we know that behind the fruit of the Spirit are hurting, uh, sorry, behind the, the flesh is a hurting person. But, but the Bible says it's not, but the Bible doesn't say, oh, well, that's okay, they're hurting anyway. No, the Bible says these things need to be addressed. And so wholeness. Then we looked at patience, which can also be translated as endurance. And the Greek word is macrothumia. You know, like you can go to that shop called macro, can't you? And it's got everything. It's massive. It's big. And you buy everything like, you know, you don't buy one can of beans. You buy, you know, tw uh, 30 cans. Why? Because it's macro. And so you buy everything. So macro is large, big thumia, where we get temper. So it means long-tempered. You know you talk about people having a short fuse? Spang, and they blow up. Well, macrothumia, or patience, or endurance, is having a long fuse. It's been, able, it's been able to keep on taking it, keep on taking it, keep on taking it. And when you're just about to break, just about to blow, guess what? You keep on taking it. You can't keep on taking it unless you've got a strong prayer life. Unless you're taking the very things that you can't take anymore to God. You can't take it. The more I focus my life on the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, the more, the, the, the more I, I find prayer coming. And you know, in the, in the old days, I used to try and force prayer. Have I had my half an hour prayer today? Have I had my hour's prayer today? And I used to remember, I used to go into a room, and I'd set a time, and I'm not against these things. I just want to show you the difference in the way that God has been working in me. And I would do my prayer, bang, 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 bang. But I find that, that, that when you're talking about overcoming the flesh, you know, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit against the flesh, and they're opposed to one another. And the flesh, as we know, has very strong desires. But do you know the Holy Spirit has greater desires? 
One of the great ways of releasing the passion and desires of the Holy Spirit is through taking things to God. Getting hungry for God. Getting desperate for God. Getting desperate in your situation. Desperate for change. Desperate for manifestation. And these things, you know, these things drive you to God. And it's the passions of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I've, I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes I've been in some very difficult places. Not just circumstances, but the places on the inside that those circumstances, you know, uh, uh, bring up. And I found that some of the most powerful prayers I've ever prayed have been over like 25, 30 seconds, where I've just prayed to God about scenario, and it just comes out with this passion. It's not my own passion. It's the Holy Spirit. And I feel like something's been released. That's just not normal prayer. And I know that something has shifted. Not just something shifted in the circumstance, but something shifted in me. I remember one particular situation, very difficult situation, and I was praying about it and praying about it and praying about it. And one day in the car, I just released a prayer of, and the, the passion, the faith, and the power went into there. And when I'd finished, something had changed in me regarding that situation, and I knew something had changed in the circumstance. It took about four or five months for there to be a change I never needed to pray about, about it again, you know, except just to calm myself, you know. Lord, you know, just remember that prayer. But something had changed. Something had changed in the spirit. Something had changed, was going to change in the circumstances. But more importantly, something had changed in me. And the way that I was dealing with that circumstance from that moment was radically different. And guess what? It allowed the fruit of the Spirit, room to manifest. Your prayer life makes room for the Holy Spirit. If you pray for your enemy, that's going to take, that is a hard thing to do. Have anyone ever prayed for your enemy? You know what I mean by enemy. Have you ever prayed for someone you can't stand? It's one of the hardest things to do. It takes time with God. Because you have to empty out all of the stuff inside you that is hurting, annoyed, uh, feeling this, you've got to bring that out and you don't want to do it and, 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 you, know, and you, you do your best and God receives that as it is but you've got, a, you know, you've got a lot inside you as you're praying and as you're praying and as you're praying and, and, you, and, you, and God is work, working in your heart but as you begin to do that and God's working in your heart you can come to places where if your enemy you see your enemy might be a member of your family it could be anybody, couldn't it? If you're going to go an enemy and bring patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, you, you can't do that in your own strength. There's going to have to be a, been a work in your heart. But you can grow with that person that annoys you at work, in the office, or in the college, or the neighbor, or the family member. You need to pray for them. Not just for them, but for you. Because that enemy is there for God to do a work in your life. That, that, that's your, that's your, it's, it's crazy the way it works. That the very person you'd like removed from your life is the very person through which God can do a great work in your life even if they never know about it or anything. And so that when you meet that person that, that annoys you on a regular basis... And you take that to the Lord, he does a work in your heart, and then when you're meeting with them, it's tested. It's tested. And you think, you know, I was a bit more patient today. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes and says, and gives you a confirmation. And you say to yourself, do you know what, it's better this way. In fact, you can actually, not you can't determine it, but actually enemies can be turned into friends by the power of the fruit of the Spirit. Because you, be, you begin to love, you begin to do things you wouldn't normally do, you begin to help, you know, the very things that you'd never do, you know, because why? Because you, it's love, it's patience, it's kindness to the very person that you'd never do that. Not always, I'm not guaranteeing anything, but sometimes that relationship can change powerfully because of your actions. And if that person is an angry person and, and, and is really, really hurting, well, who is ever going to reach that person who's angry? Because the natural person, the natural man, the natural woman says, that person's got anger problems staying away from them, arm's length. So that angry person, hurting person, has got everybody holding them at arm's length. 
But if you start to take this to the Lord and say, Lord, how, how am I going to deal with this? You know, my flesh just wishes that, you know, they, they'd go away, but they haven't. So I need to pray for them and I need to see what's in my heart. And, and then a slow process, a process happens and you go and you, you, you try and you might fail, but, you, you know, but you're working, you're, you're going forward. You're at least allowing God room to do something in your heart. But if you just love your friends and ignore your enemies, what good is it for you? Remember Jesus? What good is it just to be around those that love you and those that like you and then when you see someone that you don't like, it's like, speak to the hand because the face ain't listening, you know? And what, you, what we tend to do is keep all the people that we don't like being around away and all the people we do here, well, big deal. God's not applauding. Why? Because as good as that is to have great friends, it's not a work of God deep in our hearts, is it? You're hearing what I'm saying? I'm trying to give you principles. So, we've got, we got this patience, faithfulness. We looked at kindness and goodness, and we said that kindness was an attitude. It was, kindness was a, uh, what did I use the word? Um, kindness and goodness are twins. And kindness is a disposition. It's a friendly, it's an attitude. So that, that, when, that when, when you're kind... It means that it's how you are positioned towards somebody. So kindness is positioning yourself to. So that means that, you know, it's like when, Rome, when, when the New Testament says it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. It doesn't necessarily mean it's his kind acts. It's his disposition. It's his attitude towards you. Do you know whenever you turn genuinely in your heart to God, who are you going to find? You're going to find a kind person, aren't you? Not a judging, uh, condemning person. It's his kindness. It's his attitude. But goodness, goodness means generosity. And this is kindness in action. So this is acts of generosity to different people. And then we have faithfulness. Now this word faithfulness can mean um, faithfulness in the sense of loyalty, but it can also mean Faith in the sense of believing God for this, believing God for that. And it's both. Faithfulness and faith are very similar. Because if you believe God and his promises, it's because you believe he's faithful to his promises. And so faith and faithfulness are attributes of God. Jesus had 100% trust or faith in God, but he was also 100% faithful to his father, wasn't he? He was also 100% faithful to his disciples, even to the one that betrayed him. This isn't just a human loyalty. Greater, hath no, greater love hath no man except he lay down his life for his friends. And that's often quoted during you know, commemorations of wars and everything. But this isn't a human loyalty. This is a supernatural loyalty, not just to God, but to one another. You cannot remain loyal to people in this way just by human effort. It's got to come from the work of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness. Gentleness. This is, this is a very, very powerful fruit of the Spirit. The word is proutes in the Greek. And it doesn't just mean a gentle... You know, you think of someone who's gentle, you might think of a gentleman. Or you might think of, um, if you're English, you might think of politeness. You know? Somebody who, who actually doesn't jump a cue or, 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 or lets somebody through the door first. They're polite. They're a gentleman. They're gentle. Well, there's nothing wrong with those things. But gentleness is more... Gentleness, that word means strength under control. Strength under control. So it's not being a gentle doormat that everybody walks over. It's strength under control. This word was used of great generals great kings of the ancient world who had all power over those that were under them, but even though they had all power to do what they wanted, they were the law, they were kind. They had strength, authority, and power under control. They didn't wield that strength, authority, and power for their own fleshly good, but they used it for the benefit of whatever their goals were for their nation, but also for their people. You know, it's one thing to say, how do you treat your boss? 
But I wonder if we've got any bosses in here today. How do you treat your people? And it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes you can have somebody that's very nice and you get on with them when they're at the same level as you, but then suddenly you give them a little bit of authority, they turn into tin pot dictators, don't they? I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, they get, I mean, they get a little bit of power, they get a little bit of authority, and what do they do? They do what the Gentiles do. They lord it over everybody. Well, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's the work of the flesh. I'm not saying you can't use authority, authority um, and strength in appropriate manners. Some people need to be disciplined. Sometimes you need to wield authority. But gentleness is, is authority and strength under control. I mean, look at Jesus on the cross. Do you not think that I could call ten thousands and ten thousands of my angels to rescue me. I mean, Jesus had all authority and power had been given to him. There he is dying on the cross. And people are tormenting him. And the angels, they were there, just, just looking over heaven. And they were saying, just say the word. And the angel of judgment, and they're like, they're like well, just say the word, Lord, and we'll come and we'll blitz them. I mean, they will be toast. Just say the word, Lord, and uh, we'll sort them out. But he didn't do it. On the contrary, he said, forgive them, Father. They don't even know what they're doing. Gentleness, strength under control. And I'm just giving you a taster here of these things, um, obviously. But then then, uh, finally, and and all of these, I speak about all of these in my book on No More Law in in a lot more... um, a, a, lot, a lot more detail. But finally, self-control. And um, this word that he is speaking about means to take a hold, to grip, or to grasp. It's a bit like when we say to people, oh, get a hold of yourself, will you? Don't you? Well, maybe you don't. You're too, too kind, but... Get a hold of it. Oh, will you get a grip? Will you get a grip? So the idea of self-control is getting a grip, taking hold. It's facing up to things as they really are and not as you're pretending them to be. That's what self-control is. It's girding up the loins of your mind. Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. What he means by that is the Roman soldier would have long flowing robes And that's fine when they were just walking, but when the Roman soldiers were getting ready for war, what would they do? They'd take all the flowing robes and they would tuck them in their belt. They'd look more like Olympic athletes now. Now nothing's going to trip them over. And so when Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, what he's saying is, get a grip, get a hold, self-control. It means getting all that stuff that's all over the place, flapping all around, out of your mind and tucking it in and getting it under. This is why uh, Paul in Thessalonians says, be sober and alert. What does that mean, be sober? You can be spiritually sober, just like you can be naturally sober, uh, and you can be spiritually drunk, just like you can be naturally drunk. And so the picture there is someone uh, that in the natural has had too much to drink, and they're not under control. How many of you know one of the big dangers about having too much to drink is you lose your inhibitions. And some of those inhibitions are safety valves for us. And so, you know, I don't, I don't want to give you any flashbacks because it's all under the blood. But I wonder if there's anybody here that did anything silly when they were under the influence of alcohol that they wish they hadn't done before, woke up in the morning and said, uh-oh, what did I do? Well, I just had a flashback. Just had a flashback to university, waking up and thinking, what on earth did I do last night? Right? Well, spiritually, that's a Christian that's all over the place. They're all over the place. They're not thinking. They're this way. They're that way. They're, they're not taking stock. They're not sober. They're not alert. They're just, they're just going through life like the rest of the world. They're They're, they're drunk. They don't know what's happening. Jesus says, be careful about that attitude because when Jesus comes, when Jesus actually comes, remember R.T. Kendall's coming back next year and he spoke on the midnight cry and he said that 
there'll be those that are asleep when Jesus comes. And the question is, are we asleep? Are we, uh, you know, if, if someone has too much to drink, you know, they, sometimes you can't wake them up. They're just there snoring. You can find people who go to sleep on park benches, can't you? I'm not talking about homeless. I'm talking about people who've had too much to drink. People that wake up somewhere that they didn't even know where they are. Why? Because, you know, but self-control is different. Self-control is awareness. Self-control is, 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 a, is an awareness of God, an awareness of self, a true perception, or, a, or an increasingly true, because none of us have, we, we need God to sharpen our focus and let us see what's in our heart and what's really going on, but an increasing understanding and awareness of what's real, of what's God, of what's not God in our lives, of what's not healthy in our lives, and an awareness of things that we're doing or saying that is not healthy, not spiritual, and saying, right, you know, I'm not going to allow these these thoughts to run. I'm not going to allow my mouth to run. I'm not going to allow these actions to continue. I'm going to take a stock. I'm going to deal with the things that the Holy Spirit is showing me in my heart with His help and in prayer. And and as the desires of my heart are changing, I'm going to get a grip of some of these things that I haven't had a grip of for weeks or months or years. It's time to take a grip by the power of the Holy Spirit as he works in our lives and say, hey, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to act like this anymore. I don't want to speak like this anymore. If you are thinking like that about anything in your life, congratulations, even saying those things is a work of the Holy Spirit. So even those desires, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to speak like this anymore. I don't want to act like this anymore. If you have any sense of feelings like that, the Holy Spirit's at work. But not just the things you don't want to do, but if in your heart you say, I want to be like this. I want to be kind. I want to be generous. I want to be loving. I want to be faithful. I want to be true. These things, you say, I I, I want to speak like this. I want to act like this. I want to be like this. I want to be the real me that God made me to be. Congratulations. The Holy Spirit's at work in your heart again. He's showing you the things you don't want to be and the things you do want to be. And as you go to him, he will increase the passions to become like Jesus. And he will also, as you go to him, uh, he will increase the desires to deal with the things that hold you back. Like I said, and this I finish. When I was a boy at school, I had a headmaster. He was like, we thought he was like Jesus. He was such a wonderful Christian man, but he was like Jesus. We thought he was Jesus at times. I actually thought as a six, seven-year-old, I actually thought to myself in church, I wonder if Jesus has come back as my headmaster. I actually thought it was a distinct possibility, a real Christian man. I did something unkind in the playground. I was quite a kind boy, actually, so it was out of character called me in his office, I thought I was going to get beaten up, I thought I was going to get, well not literally, but you know, told off, he was going to phone my mum, and all that sort of stuff, I'm sitting there waiting, thinking I've had it, he comes in, and he says to me, do you know what happened out there, that's not the Bruce Atkinson that I know, the Bruce Atkinson that I know doesn't act like that, the Bruce Atkinson I know is, and he's kind, considerate, Friend, I mean, it was like the fruits of the spirit. It wasn't quite kind. That's the Bruce. That's the Bruce Atkinson that I know. That's who you are. Now off you go. I don't expect to be seeing that again. And I went out of the office. Out of his office. The first thing I'm thinking, whoo, that wasn't too bad. You know, that wasn't too bad. That was. I never thought. I thought I was going to be told you bad, you naughty, you uncaring, you. I thought that wasn't too bad. And then it hit me. That you know what? I, I, he's right. That's not who I am. A little boy. And that for me is a picture about what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives.